0: This is episode 10 of the Religion Bites podcast series with Mallory Nye. As the 10th episode, I feel we've reached a small milestone on what is going to be quite a long road. I hope you're enjoying these short bursts of religion, or the study of religion and culture. Please do get in touch if you have any comments or questions for me. You'll find contact details on my website, mallorynye.com. In this episode... We're going to be talking about religion and power. To start with, let's put some meaning into the idea of power. I'll begin with the French writer Michel Foucault, who wrote in 1981 the following rather elaborate comments on power. He said, and this is a long quote By power, I don't mean power as a group of institutions and mechanisms that ensure the subservience of the citizens of a given state. Nor a general system of domination exerted by one group over another. It seems to me that power must be understood in the first instance as the multiplicity of force relations imminent in the sphere in which they operate, and which constitute their own organisation, as the process which, through ceaseless struggles and confrontations, transforms, strengthens, or reverses them. Power is everywhere not because it embraces everything, but because it comes from everywhere. Now, as I said, this is quite an elaborate, quite a long quote, so let's just note a couple of points here to start with. First, that power is a multiplicity of force relations. It is not a simple, single thing that resides in an institution at the top of a society, such as a monarch, a president or a government. Indeed, it is very easy to think of power in terms of politics, the thing that politicians fight to control and wield. In many ways, the idea of this type of power is most obviously shown in dramas such as Game of Thrones. People seek power over others, and so plot, scheme and kill to take that power and use it, and of course are in turn schemed against and killed by others who take the power they had. But this is the type of power... That Foucault tends to reject in the quote, or at least sidelines. Power exists as a multiplicity of forces and indeed manifests itself in ceaseless struggles. And secondly, equally importantly, power is everywhere and comes from everywhere. People live within power. We practice power on a greater or lesser level in all our actions even those we think of as harmless or neutral. Everything we do, every part of culture, is about power, in some way or other. Power is about relationships between people, how such relationships are expressed, developed, controlled and manipulated. Most often, power is not only within the relationships, it is what makes the relationships. It is how people express themselves and relate to others. Everyone is political, in everything that people do. The power of thrones, wars and kings, queens or presidents is simply one form of power, at a high and very intense level. If we accept this argument, then the next question is where does religion fit into it? There are numerous answers to this. Perhaps the most famous, or infamous, is the view of the 19th century writer Karl Marx on religion. His quote is often used in this respect when he claimed that religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world. It, that is religion, is the opium of the people. What he meant by this, quite simply, is that religion is a way of feeling better about being exploited in a world where one class, say business owners, capitalists or the ruling class, exploit the working classes, then religion is nothing more than a means by which that exploitation is made easier by those who suffer. Like an opium narcotic, religion takes us to another, hopefully happier place. In this respect, the use of religion here is as an ideology, the use of thoughts and ideas in a political way. An ideology is a way of thinking that the world is the way it is for a good reason so we accept the structures of power and control. An ideology is when religious ideas, and the structures related to those ideas and beliefs, legitimise the system of power. It is when there is a religious sanction for the ruling class to rule. If the social and political system appear to be ordained by God, this gives it more authority and potential stability. To challenge such politics is to challenge not only the people with such power, it is also to challenge the religious authority. Thus, we can think of many examples where religion is closely implicated in supporting and legitimating political structures. Not all ideology is religious. Any systems of thought and belief can act in an ideological manner. Ironically, the most obvious example of a non-religious ideology is Soviet communism. Contrary to Marx's view that the removal of class problems, class inequality, would bring an end to ideology. What happened in communist Russia was the use of ideas of equality and labour empowerment to legitimate and enforce the Soviet political structures. A pure Marxist might argue that Soviet communism did not properly eliminate the class divisions of society, and so the ruling Soviet oligarchy required an ideology to legitimate their power. Or it could just be that it is impossible to have human society without political divisions, or class divisions, and so there will always be some ideology at work legitimating the fact that one group is being exploited by another. And sometimes that ideology will be specifically or obviously religious, whilst sometimes it might be seen as more secular or non-religious. Thus we can also argue that in a similar manner, any ideas or models of understanding society can also be ideological. Thus the belief in democracy and libertarianism, or freedom, is also ideological. Indeed, any political system requires some form of ideology to give it social legitimacy. When exploring this, the maxim is often to follow the money. That is to ask, who gains from the ideology? Which groups, rather than individuals, but which groups have an advantage from the majority of the population participating in the system that is set out in the ideology? Which groups have that advantage? They are the ones with the most power. If we are talking about religion as an ideology, then obviously the leaders of the religion itself, perhaps priests, bishops, etc., will gain they will have the advantage from a system in which the religion sets out the ideal of society and naturalises a way of thinking that is ordained or blessed by God. But such religious ideology may also support others in power. A classic example of this is the idea of the divine right of kings, with a particular Christian religious understanding of social power being manifest in a person as king or queen, who has that right to exercise ultimate power, because that is what God expects of society. The German sociologist Max Weber, writing at the beginning of the 20th century, explored this from the other way around. That is, it is possible to say that the Calvinist idea of predestination is also a form of ideology. Those who are elect have been chosen by God, and in the Calvinist viewpoint, They stand out because they have a strong work ethic, they work hard, and are successful in what they do. They make a lot of money. Thus, to be an upright citizen is to obey the law, fear God, and succeed in business. If one does this within a Calvinist context, then it is likely one will be identified as being one of God's chosen. And thus, showing God chooses some people to be wealthy and successful. This can be seen, quite straightforwardly, as an ideology that legitimises the power and wealth held by certain people. God has given them that wealth and power because they deserve it. What Weber did, however, was turn this idea on its head, taking on Marx's idea that economic or material divisions, having or not having wealth and power, lead to ideology. Weber instead pointed out that the idea of worldly success as a sign of being elect came out of a religion before the society was in place to reward and ideologize such a viewpoint. In short, he argued that the spirit of capitalism, an ideology that sacralizes personal and social economic success, came out of Calvinism, that is, the religious ideas. One could say the ideology, they came first, and then came the economic system of capitalism. This is something to be careful about what is often called economic or material determinism, or sometimes even reductionism. It is very easy to assume that it all boils down to the economics. What Weber is pointing out to us is that there is a two-way street between political divisions, based on such economic divisions, and the religious and other ideological issues that can become associated with them. People with significant power don't just sit around trying to think of an ideology that will help them rule. They will make use of ideas and religious issues to legitimate their power, and they may do this consciously or unconsciously, and they may do it cynically or with the best intentions. It is not important here to determine which came first, the power or the ideology, since that is very often a chicken and egg issue. Rather... What is important is, as I have said, to follow the question of where is the money? What relations of inequality and power are served by the religion or ideology that is in place? And as I said in the first part of this episode, this can happen in any context, since such power is everywhere. It might happen at the personal or the family level, as much as at the level of the state or government. Power is everywhere, and wherever there is religion, and religious discussion and discourse, there is power. So, thanks for listening. That's the end of episode 10. I will be putting some show notes up onto the website for this episode, and I'll see you again in the next podcast.